everyone and welcome to Now We're Talking. Uh, my name is Rob Danish. I'm a professor of communication studies at the University of Waterloo and we've got more where uh, I've got more students with me today. Uh, Nagin is here with me and she's going to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about which is facilitation and it's one of my favorite things to talk about it because so many people do it so badly. Um, these days I sit in so many meetings where it just all goes very very wrong and I wonder if anybody ever anywhere ever talks about how to facilitate a meeting effectively. So she's gonna to describe some of the ways to improve our ability to facilitate and hopefully we'll get to talk through some examples also. Uh, so Nagin, welcome. You want to introduce yourself and tell us what you're gonna talk about today. Hi Rob, so I'm Nagin. I'm a student at the University of Waterloo and today we're going to talk about facilitation and ways to improve your facilitation skills. So to begin, facilitation is enabling and allowing for a team to explore different perspectives and knowledge in a judgment-free way before collaboratively coming together to make a decision or execute an action. But this isn't the same as making agendas or determining who speaks because facilitation is much more complex than that. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about different facilitation techniques, which can be applied to more than just formal meetings or more than just work. For example, facilitation can be used in social situations like family dinners, get-togethers with friends, any decision-making situations, or any brainstorming situations. It can even be used on an interpersonal level. And sometimes when you try and practice these facilitation techniques, it's better to practice one-on-one -on, -one on an interpersonal level before you try in a larger group. So to begin, you should, by the way, you should, <laughs> if anybody out there has kids that's listening, I facilitate all the time with children, and it's interesting if you know how to do it, uh, you can redirect their attention effectively. So talk about interpersonal facilitation. I'm constantly doing the things we're going to talk about today with my two kids, especially at the, the dinner table, um, and it's an interesting response if you want to experiment with, with in doing that, but okay, go ahead. Well, actually speaking of that, the first example is with your family at the dinner table. So one technique is to relate the different team members' points to each other in hopes that they notice their similarities rather than their differences, and they can come together to form a meaningful decision. So for example, let's say that you're at your family dinner, and one child really wants to go to the mall after dinner, and the other child really wants to get ice cream, and they're just bickering back and forth. You can facilitate that discussion by entering it and saying, Jim, it sounds like you really want to go to the mall tonight, but Maggie, it sounds like you really want ice cream. But you I mean, you both do want to go out tonight to dinner, so why don't we grab ice cream and then go to the mall, or grab ice cream at the mall? By doing this, you hope they notice that their ideas are more similar than they are different, and they can come together and make a decision that pleases both of them. So to summarize that, one technique of facilitation is to relate to team members' points to each other, hoping they notice their similarities rather than their differences. And it's not that the kids, the kids aren't automatically going to say yes to that idea. And that's not the goal here. The goal is that you're pointing to a connection in hopes that other people will start thinking about the connections. So oftentimes I do this with my kids and they come up with a totally different connection that I didn't think about. But it's the orientation of their mind to that relationship that is, that's what matters. So you could respond and say, oh, I tried this, and you know, then my kids didn't want to do either still. Um, and that might be the case, and it might require you to do more work pointing to, to different connections. But hopefully you're orienting their minds kind of differently so that they can look for those relationships instead of looking at the differences. Exactly. 
And then our second facilitation technique that you can practice is to rephrase any emotionally fueled or confusing statements made by others in order to either clarify your own understanding or to provide the other person a chance to clarify what they meant for you. So let's say that you miss a call from your significant other and they're upset now and they're saying you don't care about me, you're so careless and inconsiderate. Rather than immediately jumping to responding to them, and in which case you'd probably also be emotionally fueled and you may say something that you regret, you can rephrase their statement back to them by saying, for example, it sounds like when I don't answer, it feels as though I don't care about you. By doing this, you're generously rephrasing their comment back to them in hopes that they will take a moment and after that moment be able to say what they really wanted to say without having to hurt your feelings or escalate it to a dysfunctional conflict. And, and, hope, uh, and so to conclude, one facilitation technique is to rephrase any emotionally fueled or confusing statements made by the other in order to either give them space to clarify what they meant or to clarify their, your understanding of what they meant. So th this is actually, I, th I think I, I talked about mirroring in an earlier, I, th I must have talked about mirroring in an earlier episode. This is a more advanced uh, kind of mirroring, essentially. You don't restate exactly in the same words that the, what the other person said. Um, you want to rephrase slightly, but the, the impact or the effect is somewhat similar. The effect here is to get the person to think more seriously about what they've said and reorient the direction of, of what they've said. Um, and it's also really important to think about doing that in group settings, so not just in one-on-one -on -one settings, but it can change the dynamic or the climate of a group, uh, especially if one person is upset or being challenging or being difficult or being combative in front of many other people, if you could rephrase or restate or mirror back in an altered fashion what that person is saying, um, it can change the climate of the group's ability to make a decision pretty quickly. And speaking of making decisions in groups, the third technique is great for a group setting. So a good facilitator is able to summarize the main discussion points and ask to see if they missed anything. This works in many ways. First, it allows for every member to feel like their points were heard. Second, it allows for the team to, at the last chance, say anything that they thought they might have missed. And fourth, it moves the team to actually make a decision or make an action. Quite often, teams will keep talking in circles about any brainstorming sessions or any problems rather than actually trying to solve the problem. So let's say you're in a meeting and you're trying to discuss whether or not to move forward with a certain project. Um, at the end of this discussion, or towards the end of the discussion, you could say, so to summarize, we discussed whether or not to deploy this project. And then you would go and explain each person's viewpoint in one quick sentence. For example, Samira, you believe that we should because other projects are dependent on this going live. But Ben, you said to wait until testing is complete because if the testing comes back failed, then this might negatively impact billing. And Whitney, you also said to wait because if, any, if billing breaks, we have a bigger problem on our hands. Did I miss anything or are we good to move forward and make a decision? By doing this, you're simultaneously validating that everyone has been heard and fairly represented. You give anyone else a chance to speak their voice if you actually did miss something, and hopefully this transition sets the stage to make a hopefully more fair decision that everyone feels like they've contributed to. So what, one of the things that uh, this restating gets at is, uh, well, I'll put it like this. I think that my life changed permanently and for the better once I learned that repeating myself and repeating things that other people said is okay, and it's in fact desirable. And I learned that, I think, from George W. Bush uh, in terrible ways, but he would repeat himself over and over and over again. And at the time, I would get really frustrated and think, well, what does he think, that we're stupid? 
Um, it's not that other people are stupid. It's not that other people haven't been paying attention. Um, it's not, you know, it's, it's not that you're being insulting by repeating things. It's actually incredibly valuable to the group or to another individual to simply restate what's happened because it allows that um, those things to s kind of sink in and be concretely made real for everyone. And it, it, it makes certain that some degree of understanding is present. And in fact, you can't have a high degree of understanding if you don't have some, some repetition, if you haven't restated or rephrased or stated again some key points that have been covered. So you're solidifying or making more real or more solid the ground that's been covered and you're reminding people that, that all these things have, have been said and it's incredibly valuable. Um, I'd also say that you, we have to remember that people have limited senses of perception. There's only so much we can keep in the bandwidth of our brain. And so being reminded of or having something restated or rephrased or said again for us helps uh, with the cognitive load that we have to deal with. We have to, to think through all these issues and sometimes we for can forget um, or sometimes we can just ignore one piece of information. So a facilitator is able to restate those key things that we ought not to forget and to bring them back to the, to the front of our minds uh, or into our, the foreground of our consciousness. And it's not a fault of anyone's if some of those things slip to the background. It's just the natural condition of being human. Um, but when those things slip to the background in a group setting and the group kind of has amnesia or forgets about some key critical point, uh, then that could have serious negative ramifications for the group's work. And an effective facilitator knows to restate those, those key points to bring them back to the foreground of people's attention, essentially. Well, I'm glad that we learned one thing, at least from Bush. <laughs> but <laughs> so the last technique I'm ex I'll explain might seem a little counterintuitive at first, but it is crucial to create and maintain functional teams with high cohesion. Um, a good facilitator allows for and encourages some off-track or off-agenda discussion. If the discussion engages team members, furthers the emotional needs of the team members, or strengthens the team's relationship. So, for example, in our class with Rob. One of the classmates launched into a hilarious but completely unrelated story about how on campus, because our campus is always under construction, uh, he ran into a pile of mud and when he took out his feet from the mud, his shoe stayed in the mud when his foot came out without, with just the sock. And then he was forced around campus barefoot for the next two hours. Uh, everyone burst out laughing and I laughed until I almost cried. And even though his story had absolutely nothing to do with the functional goals as a class, we were in a position for the rest of the class to feel closer to each, other, to each other and to him. And that on its own is productive. Yeah, so we have this delusion. We work under this delusion that a good facilitator is constantly keeping us on agenda or on topic or on time. And it's someone that's looking at their watch saying, okay, we only have two minutes left and we have to make this decision now. Um, I really dislike that view of facilitation. Um, that's a, It's a very, very, very narrow kind of bureaucratic um, functional sense of facilitation. What we're talking about here is the ability of a facilitator to realize or be aware of the importance of relational harmony and the socio-emotional needs of team members and to give uh, latitude or space for that to, to, for the kinds of communicative work that makes those things possible happen. Um, so it's good to remember, to be reminded of the fact that facilitation is not just the moving through an agenda quickly. In fact, it's never really that. 
um, it's, it, it involves recognizing the multiple needs and demands or expectations that any one moment has within it. Um, and I'd also add that, you know, it's, it's not just about allowing space for uh, those kinds of interjections, but it's also about being aware when uh, a group needs that kind of intervention or being aware when things are too feeling too heavy or um, or you're not making progress functionally when you can create an opportunity for someone to offer an anecdote like that or or put some communicative labor into uh, changing the interpersonal or relational dynamics of the room. So you allow for space for it, but you can also proactively seek out those moments where that will be necessary or, or important and then create an opportunity for people to engage with those moments and, and those kinds of practices. So now that you've tried all these facilitation techniques and you think that you're ready to try a bigger, more robust version of facilitation, you can try this. So during your next team meeting, try a brainstorming session for the task at hand or any issues that the team currently faces. I do this in my group projects at school and one of my great friends, Monica, is actually a facilitator as a part-time job on campus and this is her idea and it works really well every time. So when we come together to think of whatever the project may be, we take three to five minutes of silence and give everyone sticky notes and everyone writes down their ideas on these sticky notes without any critique or judgment of the idea. At first, you just write it down and you go to the next one, you write it down. Then after three to five minutes, you go around in a circle and everyone says their ideas without any critique, any comments, any questions, you just say the idea. Then after that, you start the discussion involving all the things we just discussed. So rephrasing each other's ideas, relating them to one another, summarizing the ideas, and allowing for any off-track discussion to promote creativity. Then after you do this, you can decide like what ideas seem relatable to each other. So in our situation, we actually end up putting these sticky notes on a wall and then putting them together in groups of what we thought made the most sense. And we did this through just discussing it using our facilitation techniques. Another key thing that Monica taught me is that quite often when you are the facilitator, people will look to you as the leader of the group. And she'll say that quite often, they'll turn their questions if they have any questions, even if the question is for the group, they'll actually direct it to the facilitator, formal or informal. Informal. They will turn their bodies to the facilitator and look at the facilitator when they ask these questions. And Monica said that as a facilitator, it's important to not automatically take the role as leader, but rather to put place it back onto the group. So for example, if someone were to ask you as a facilitator a question, even though the question could be answered by anyone in the group, Make sure that first you compliment their question. So for example, like that's a good question or hmm, that's a good point. But then ask the group before you respond. Because by doing this, you're allowing the group to feel like everyone's opinion is important and valid and that you're not controlling the group. Yeah, so th this is an interesting idea, this last one, because uh, so I, I run meetings now. I'm my, my department chair. I run a, a first year program, uh, unit meetings. I'm all, in all these meetings and I try and make it um, a rule of thumb that once in, in at one point in every meeting that I'm running, I take a question and turn it back directly to one of the other participants. So if someone asks, you know, uh, well, what could we do about X or Y? I will say, oh, that's a good question. Joe, what do you think we could do about X or Y? Um, I try to deflect the question back to one of the other participants in the group intentionally 
so that it doesn't seem to, to it doesn't start to seem like I'm answering all the questions, uh, but it encourages the broader participation. That's important for small group deliberation or decision making, anyway. Um, but that is a form of facilitation because it's a form of incorporating those other voices into into the conversation. So to conclude, hopefully by this point you can recognize that facilitation is not as simple as it may seem. It's quite complex. We looked at quite a few facilitation techniques. First, relating team members' opinions and points to each other, hoping that eventually they'll see that their differences are not as big as their similarities. Second, we talked about um, rephrasing any emotionally fueled or confusing statements in order to clarify understanding. Third, we talked about summarizing the main discussion points to see A, if you missed anything, B, making sure everyone feels like they were heard and C, moving towards a decision. We discussed that sometimes it's really important to foster some off-track or off-agenda discussions because it makes the team stronger as a whole. And lastly, we talked about a brainstorming technique that uses all of these facilitation techniques together. Okay, great. Thanks, Nadine. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. I'll be back in next week with some more of my students talking about other small group communication practices. Thanks, everyone.